Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Constructive Criticism. I'm your host, Spencer, and I'm joined by my co-host, everyone's favorite ginger. Wait. No, wrong one if you're listening. It's Mason. You're back! I'm back, baby. I've been gone for, God, which has been like just under, just about seven weeks now, I guess. Um, I guess for the listeners, it's about seven weeks because I was on that one episode. But I'm back. I'm ready. Doing the podcast. I'm always, always, all the way back in now. Won't be gone for anything unless anything crazy happens. So expect to hear me all the time, for better or for worse. It's always for better, man. I missed you a lot. No, I missed y'all too. It was fun listening to the episodes. I listened to a couple my first couple weeks and fell behind and listened to a bunch in a row on the plane slash like commute across the country to the pro tour. How did we do without you? I think y'all did pretty good. I liked a lot of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We still missed you. Um, nice, and you yeah. can't beat a grizzly bear. We, let's just be honest. I can beat a grizzly bear. All right. Uh, speaking of you know beating things, uh, let's let's talk about uh, trying to be better at that and be always improving. Uh, Mason, you've been gone for a while. The always improving is the point of the show. While you've been gone, what was your always improving moment? So I, I had a bunch of little ones and things that I could do, but something happened at the pro tour that I think was a, a great one, and so I kind of wanted to bring it up here. So. Uh, as you all know, I was gone doing a work thing that I can't talk about right now, really. Um, and we came back here. Uh, sorry, we came to the pro tour. I was just super busy. It was also a lot of stuff going on in the real world and stuff. And I just did not have a huge amount of time to test the pro tour. So I spent a lot of time into testing limited, um, in order to like be on top of that and thought, you know what, pioneer, there's definitely stuff that could happen as innovations, but I'm just going to play a solid deck or whatever play something that's consistent and then i'm going to work on limited and we're going to really try and you know three three maybe four two across my two drafts so i can get to the second one that was a lot of my goal and i ended up my draft at one and two um and i lost like a really close one in round two and then game three i kind of just got rolled and that happens and i was really happy with not only my draft but my play my preparation and that was all really good but that's all just to set the stage for this you know so my friend bob and cheese uh was able to test and he put a lot of work into limited two and then we both go into our round three, I'm sorry, round four, first round of Constructed. I lose to Javier Dominguez. He loses to somebody whose name is escaping at the moment. We're both feeling kind of, you know, we're both like, ah, oh, well, we're not dead, but we can rally, whatever. Uh, the next round, I play against Paulo Vitor Dominarosa. He plays against, I want to say Tommy Ashton or somebody like that. Um, and then, you know, he's really down, right? And I'm just telling him, like, man, we're not dead. We can easily just 3-0 from here. We can 3-0. We're going to be able to day two the Pro Tour, and we're still alive. And, you know, if we 3-0, we're still live to re for the Pro Tour. You know, we have to rally a little, but it's not impossible. We can do this. And then I talked to him and I said, do you know how many people are 1-4 right now? Or we started off the tournament 1-2. It was me, him, Misplaced Ginger, Mike Segrist, uh, Javier Dominguez, Paul Vito Dominarosa, Seth Manfield, uh, Tommy Ashton, Ily Cassis, uh, and somebody else that's really famous too, and a bunch of other people too. A bunch of people started 1-2 who are people that you would not think would go 1-2 in any tournament ever. The pro tours are really, really hard. And the always improving moment was, you know, like I'm telling these things to Bob and like, it's keeping that mindset of like, you are not dead. Normally in a tournament, you're one in four, you're dead, but this is not the case. And that applies to, you know, lots of different tournaments. You know, if you're playing like an SCG or a big NRG or something, um, you know, you might be one in two and typically be dead for a tournament, uh, but you're not dead at those. And you have to keep playing have to keep rallying. And I'm going to just gonna say big shouts to Bob. You know, I ended up losing. I did not make day two. Bob rallied three in a row. The next day, Spencer, he goes one, two in draft, loses, and then just rallies it back up to recue for the pro tour. And was in this kind of a similar spot, but he was like, you know what? Wait, I did this yesterday. 
sure all these people date you, but I date you too. Why can't I do this? So huge shout out to him and sort of having that mindset moment. And I think that's a huge improving moment of just like, hey, you're in this tournament, you know, like it's hard. <laughs> you're playing against really hard players and normally you're dead and it's really easy to give up on yourself, but you're not. And you could still requeue. You could still, you know, make an extra thousand dollars. You know, there's still like a lot on the line. And, uh, you know, yeah, hopefully that helps listeners. I, I think that like, you know, both both facilitating a good mental for yourself and for your friends um, is kind of what these big paper magic tournaments are all about, right? Like, it's, it there's, brings a lot of, I don't know, joy back to the game. Um, when I was reading Bob and Cheese's tweet about this, um, I was just like, man, paper magic is back, dude. Like, that's so mm-hmm. cool. And, yeah. you know, his his rally is, is one thing, but, like, your ability to through adversity you know have a good mental um you know i think speaks volumes as to both where you've come as a player and also like what uh what this show was kind of about in teaching and what this segment Mm -hmm. is about right like there's there probably certainly been times in your magic career where you wouldn't have been able to have that mindset and you know i think i think that that is a moment that i'm really glad you shared with listeners yeah what about you what was your always improving moment this week yeah, so um, I've been working pretty hard on standard lately, and um, you know, looking through kind of the results of this weekend um, from the challenges, um, I have decided to put down my gruel cards for a while. Um, I've put a lot of work into different gruel decks, been had pretty good success just testing these out, um, but kind of looking at where the format has ended up. Uh, I've, I've picked up some, the blue, the mono blues again, and my most improving moment was kind of something that I didn't realize that I was doing that I don't think that I would have always done, which is put down the rule cards. Like, just like, you know, I'm having success with it. I think it's, you know, I've built it to beat Grixis and I've, you know, I have a lot of success there and I still was able to just like, be like, you know what though, in this format against, I think that. I can beat mono white. I can beat uh, the the invoke decks. I can beat the five color decks. I can beat the Grixis decks, all with mono blue cards. Um, and I don't know that I always had the. Uh, I don't. I don't know that I always had the range, as well. And so, for me, it was like this moment of clarity on, you know, I could get in. I could play a Grixis deck. I could get into the mid range mirrors and stuff, but. Um, the flexibility that I've given myself over the t- my time playing Magic um, really has come to shine. Uh, you know, I've gotten over an 80% win percentage over the last two days with the Mono Blue deck, and it has felt really good. And I'm really kind of proud of myself for being willing to switch to something that if you asked Spencer, you know, 10 years ago, you might be like, oh, that deck's stupid. Like, I'm not going to play some $40 deck. Um, I-, I think that my my ability to pivot has just been really cool yeah that's awesome it's really easy to like build up shorthand right and so much of magic too is like a lot of the onboarding to getting kind of better is learning what your shortcuts and heuristics so that you can sort of start to learn the more complicated stuff right but then you have to go back and like remove those shortcuts and understand like why there are times to do things like you're talking about right like it might not be right to play monoblue every weekend but if right now it's really good or these trends continue it's like well you know, maybe this deck's beatable, but if players aren't doing things to beat this deck, I don't really care, you know, like show me you can do it. And I think it's really great that 
you a identified that and b were willing to you know give up sort of a deck you were really a you really enjoy and b were winning with a bunch right it's really hard to be like oh i love this deck and i'm winning i'm gonna play something else uh but like that sometimes what it means to like you know really grind these sort of things and so i'm glad you're able to share that with listeners thanks uh let's move on to our patreon shout outs really quick just want to give a shout out to our newest patrons we do this every week on the show um and actually you know what mason you haven't done this in a while why don't you do it yeah so shout out to omar and josh he i believe is how uh your name has two h's no i I definitely spelled that wrong that's my Uh, bad okay all right i was like i was gonna tell this person dm me to let me know how to say your name because i feel awful but i have no idea how to do it josh thank you so much uh no 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 no. joshy is there's just not it is joshy oh okay cool 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 joshy uh omar thank you so much for joining the show it's great to have you here and hopefully you get a lot out of it and hopefully if you enjoy the show yourself you want to give a little bit back it'll always be free but patreon.com ccmtg is the place to go yeah and if you're looking to uh support the show in other ways and you're you want a business uh like liquid death we could use some refreshing new sponsor just like liquid death is amazing you know hashtag not sponsored but you could be by liquid death the show could be i mean uh liquid death is delicious i drink it all the time and uh if you want an ad like i'm doing for liquid death right now you too could get one uh mason do you do you love the liquid deaths i have no idea what you're talking about i thought you were holding a beer up for a second this is water oh okay <laughs> it looks like a beer can yes it does <laughs> but it's delicious and it's okay. not beer. uh liquid liquid death is uh it comes in different flavors i personally just like the refreshing mountain water nice dope you're like That's we it. don't want a beer sponsor, Spencer. No, no, I, 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 I lost that. I was more like at the clock. I'm like, it's ten nineteen over there. You got a day going. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's We're it's just, early today. It's just water. <laughs> the other way you can support the show, though, is to get some CCMTG swag over at the swag store. You can either find that just oddconstructorcriticism.com. Click the link that says swag, and you have the Drafting Archetype store, the CCMTG store. Soon there will be a Mythicast store. We also have some other shows, uh, at least one sh- other show joining the network here in the near future um, that will we'll be helping them set up a swag store, too. But yeah, it's it's a great way to support the show. You can get t-shirts, you can get uh, life pads, uh, you know, t- tons of stuff over there. So, hmm. awesome! I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I hear that uh, the the one and only Ape Stein wants to get the, like the big desk mat. So instead of using a play mm-hmm. mat, you get a full on desk mat with CCM to on it. That's dope. I had to check into that and see exactly what that like what the parameters of that are. I have like kind of a weird older desk that still works. But uh, I bet it probably covers this. Yeah, probably. So I'll have to check that out. Also, Abe will be back next week. We're recording early and getting stuff in to try and make it work. I just realized we didn't say where Abe was. He'll be back. Don't worry. Uh, Abe died, <laughs> everyone. No. Uh, no, he'll he, he'll be back. He'll be back. Uh, let's go into our main topic, though. We want to talk about the kind of our reactions to the door and also Mason, kind of your prep, your event. You've, you've talked about it a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, for, the, for those who might not know, like, what was the deck that you landed on? So I ended up playing Mono White. Um, so pretty early on, I knew that I was not going to be able to test as much as I would love to for a Pro Tour. I sort of accepted this uh, opportunity uh, before I was even qualified. It was kind of a situation where it's like, we kind of need to know before the RC even happened. And so I agreed to do it because it was such a cool and fun thing to do. So I did that. Um, and then I qualified for the Pro Tour. I'm like, well, it's going to be harder to do, but I know that I'll just put in the time that I can. I'll try and play something that's a bit more aggressive in stock um, in order to sort of make up the fact that I won't be as in tune with the format as I maybe normally would be. 
Uh, and then I'll put, spend a lot of time on limited once the limited uh, gets released. Unfortunately, the limited got pushed back a week. Uh, and so everyone was kind of down some time there. But still, I, I locked in pretty early that I was going to play something along the lines of Mono White, Angels, or Gruel. Um, players were pretty sure. Actually, they had confirmed that uh, there was like appealing lands coming back in the set. And everyone was like, oh, it's got to be the fast lands. They have these awkward names or whatever. So I was pretty sure that, you know, Copperline Gorge and Rage of Earth Sticket were coming back. Uh, so there was even a moment actually where I flirted with the idea of Boggles. But I couldn't figure out exactly what to do with Boggles. Uh, that was so different. So I quickly scrapped that one. Uh, but then I kind of came down to those three, and Mono White was the one just with the best mana, and I knew the best. And even though I thought maybe Gruel with Angels might have been a better deck, I didn't know exactly how to build those decks in order to best capitalize on what was going on. And my work was way harder than I actually thought it was going to be. And so I just had even less time to prepare for the actual constructed part of the thing. Um, the, the the main preparation I thought about was like sort of sideboard plan and thinking about what's different in open deck list versus not. So like one of those examples is like for angels, I considered playing Curse of Silence in my sideboard Spencer over Shaper Sanctuary. Shaper Sanctuary is the one where, you know, if you target something, uh, when your creatures get targeted, you draw a card. It's fine against the spot removal decks, but all those decks upgrade to sweepers versus you post board. So if you play Curse of Silence in the open decklist tournament, that is the white enchantment where you name a card and it costs two more to cast. And if your opponent casts it, you may sack it to draw a card. So I was like, oh, everyone's playing Ritual of Soots or um, Extinction Event or Supreme Verdict. I'll play this card instead. It's essentially the same. I can just name whatever the best removal spell is. And then if people play combo decks, I can name their combo card. So I did a lot of preparation with things like that. I did some of that with Gruel. I don't want to like bore listeners with the nitty gritty of it all. But that's basically what my preparation looked like. I ended up landing on Mono White. Uh, the big things I did that were kind of different than stock was I had a sort of Forging Frontier on my sideboard. And I had some Skrelv uh, as like another mini Brave the Elements. Yeah, I've gotten the chance to play a bit of Mono White um, uh, based on both, you know, kind of what I liked from your list as well as what I liked from the list that Top aided. And I, honestly, I think that you probably made the better choice. I know that, like, Gruel kind of underperformed, which, um, you know, is honestly what I expected to happen. <laughs> Is sure. Because I think that a lot of people, and you can give me your thoughts, I think a lot of people knew Gruul was like a really good aggressive deck going in, and so we're mm -hmm. really prepared for it. Yeah, I think that happened. I also think like, I have been a pretty big believer in Reckless Stormseeker, and it felt like, I haven't looked at all the lists, but a lot of people moved away from that card when talking to them, and they played things like... um just more actually just like there's so many different things. They just played a lot more mid-rangey cards like Luca and stuff like that. And I my list had like three Storm Seekers and like a mixture of all these other little things, which was part of the reason why I didn't pull the trigger. I was like, well, this is sort of what I think, but I have no way to test this. Um, but I think actually making yourself slower and grindier does not help the Rakdos matchup. Um, and I think Rakdos is you're actually good because of things like Stormseeker and putting that pressure on. And when talking to Misplaced Ginger about it, he thinks that the matchup's gotten better with the new cards because they've slowed down. And so now he doesn't just get like spaghettied, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah. I was just going to say, I, I, I kind of agree. I, I think that uh, while Rakdos was uh, kind of a really slam dunk matchup for Gruul earlier, I agree with Misplaced Ginger. I think that it's actually gotten a lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, you've made a lot of things that have actually made you play their game instead of making them play your game, and you're able to still play theirs, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. And, you know, unfortunately, Mono White also underperformed at the PT. 
had a 36% win rate. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it had a 36% win rate. It oh. did awful outside that one player. Interesting. I guess <laughs> yeah. looking at this, uh, I'm kind of go, skimming over the results, and it does actually look like there was only uh, that one player on Mono White that did well. The best mm-hmm. finishing gruel deck was 173. Um, and it does not look like there's there's one there. Oh, there are a couple six fours. Uh, oh, there's actually quite a few six fours. Yeah, so I'm actually I'm gonna put the data in our show notes, and maybe you can link the Frank Carson tweet. I can send it to you too. Uh, I didn't know if you had seen this yet. Oh wow, that's really small to see. I'll just link you his tweet. Uh, anyways, yeah, the the data, um, which is always a little dubious, and this at the bottom of our show notes, Spencer. Wow, that that hyperlink is awkward. Anyways, uh. The data shows that like mono white didn't do great. I will admit that this data is a little skewed. The melee wouldn't let me drop from the tournament, so it should have two less losses. It should have two less things removed. But uh, jokes aside, um, it you know I think it was like a fine-ish deck. Uh, I think you needed to do stuff like the person who top aided the pro tour uh, and sort of build your deck differently in order to survive in this meta game. But ultimately, I wish I had sort of pulled the trigger on angels. Angels had a small player like size or whatever so it's like an overly large win rate at 63 percent. but i do think that deck might have had a really good weekend if you just loaded up on lotus field hate and played things like curse of silence for your uh interactive matchups as well so which i pulled the trigger on that it's a good always improving moment of maybe trusting my gut and trying to you know really just force that little extra bit of time so In- interesting i uh for some reason i thought i saw another tweet that had data that showed the, uh, this a little differently i Definitely trust Frank Carson though. So, uh, kind of, kind of going over this. What do you? What stands out to you as far as like results go? So uh, a couple big things um, to me at least. So Absent Grease Fang did great. Uh, that's a deck that has like ebbed and flowed in meta games. Uh, like before the RC players were kind of bigger on it, and then it fell off. Um, a big thing to note is that a lot of the Rakdos players had moved away from Graveyard Hay in their sideboard, as did Mono White players. So. Greasefang was kind of in a really good position for that. I don't know how that's going to stay on long term, but just a good reminder for players that these metagames do churn and you're looking for spots in order to actually pick the right battle. Um, another thing that jumped out to me is Omnath's Delight. Uh, that's actually the deck that our friend Bob and Cheese played. Um, Omnath's Delight had one of the better win rates across the tournament at 61%. Um, that deck, I think, is actually, it looks really bad. I mean, when I saw it, I was just like, that deck does not look like a deck. Like, it's probably fine. I trust Bob, but like I was very skeptical, and it plays out much better than it uh, looks on paper. So that's the thing that if you like Niftalite type decks, I'm a pretty big believer now that I think Omnipotent is basically the same deck, but better because your cards are cheaper and your like payoff card is easier to cast and just comes down sooner. So that that's the big one. And the last one is, uh, and it's sort of in the same line as Greasebang. I'm curious to hear what you think about all this as well, Spencer. Is that the Indomitable Creativity deck? Um, had a good win rate with a pretty good sample size of strong players, um, but it was a really well-positioned weekend, and that people on Pioneer are just too stubborn to switch off the decks that they know are good, and they should be picking their spots more. Yeah, so, uh, one on the creativity deck, I do think that when I saw that deck, I think it was like almost two months ago that that top eight mm-hmm. of the, the challenge, right? Fun fact, that was Vincent who top eight the challenge of that deck, the person who lost in the finals. Oh, was it? Yeah, That's it was so his funny. team. His team had the deck. Yeah, <laughs> well, I knew, I, I knew that he. They talked about that on coverage. I didn't realize yeah. that was the player who first who first hopped into the challenge with it. So I, yeah. I, you know, Matt Matt Kling and I um, had discussed the deck quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, going into uh, go, go coming out of that tournament. 
and uh, it, it, I, I think that overall, the sideboard plan in which the Channel Fireball team came up with looked really solid, mm-hmm. and I think really helped the deck a lot. I do think that it was a great weekend for the deck, but I also think that the deck was inherently more powerful than I had it in my head, like when, when mm-hmm. brainstorming about it. Um, the other thing that I'll say that we haven't mentioned yet is there were multiple Auras decks that did well at this Pro Tour. Like, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's, that to me, we have two decks that, in my opinion, were non-factors from a lot of, you know, players going into the format, uh, going into the tournament, and now we, have, now they have to be on people's radar. The other thing is, I, I wanted to mention the Grease Fang, uh, numbers really quick, that I was surprised to see it, the high of a win rate. It, historically, to me, has been a deck that was really easy to hate out, um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if this means that people were less prepared for it because they were caring about other things, or if maybe like the deck's just better than I think it is. I think it's a little A and B. I, I think Greasefang, like you said, is a deck that is you can hate out, but you do have to mean it against Greasefang, right? And and you'll also if you look at the Arclight win percentage, Arclight is like plus EV in basically every matchup now because no one has go blanks or a bunch of hearses in their sideboard. So uh, I think it's a deck that kind of like we talked about before you need to sort of pick your battle and spot for it i also think its main game plan of uninterrupted is really strong it's just when interrupted it falls apart so you have to pick your battles i think they did a really good job picking for the weekend there though uh and as for auras i think that uh auras like i mentioned before i think i kind of discarded i think the thing that i didn't think about enough that i should have gone back and looked at was screlv in the deck as a way to protect light paws and going so hard on that i think that is the huge like difference maker and it sort of turns it into like the best version of heroic we have right now in the format like that deck was a thing six months ago but kind of fell off uh this deck has some more built-in protection from that sort of thing and i think it is beatable but once again like grease fang you find the right weekend for it you hit the right matchups you're almost unbeatable yeah scrub is a card that i think uh a lot of people under i think we talked about it on our set review but i think it's a card that a lot of people underestimated mm-hmm. um and I I think that both in the mono white deck it really impressed me, and in in this deck it really impressed me too. Yeah, I will say for what it's worth, I put it in my angels deck as well, and it was theoretically really good. You have no one drops in your deck, and all you have like so many cards you're trying to protect because your deck doesn't function if you don't have them. So sure. I think Scrub is a huge winner from this pro tour slash this format. I love that card a lot. Yeah, uh, talk talk to listeners really quickly. You you had mentioned kind of the the Omnath deck. Uh, mm-hmm. What what do you what do you, what is that deck doing that you think makes it go from this thing that looks like not a deck to oh this deck's actually quite good. Um, there are a couple things real quick. Let me very quickly I'll pull up Bob and Cheese's uh, actual Pro Tour deck list here. It was his team, uh, Team Sewer Rats with Canister in them. They're the ones that uh, came up with that deck. I believe it was one of their other teammates who had and Bob jumped on it here. But one of the things that I really like is that the Niv to Light strategy itself is actually, I think, sort of good, except it makes you play all these awful cards to enable Niv-Mizzet, right? Like, Niv-Mizzet just comes... It's, like, kind of strong, but you need to hit off it to be strong, and you need to also, like... How do I say this? Resolve Niv-Mizzet consistently? And Omnath is still hard to cast in Pioneer, but, like, comes down a turn sooner and actually stabilizes your life total in a way that Niv-Mizzet does not. So I think that, that structural change, while seeming small, I think is actually huge. The other big get is Elishnor. It's just a one-up in this deck, but the way it works with cards like Leyline Binding and Chain to the Rocks and works against those cards is huge. 
um, and it allows for your bullet cards to actually be a little bit stronger. So I think in general, the bring the light strategy was always fairly close to being pretty good. Um, but players were just too hyper-focused on Niv-Mizzet and didn't look to be like, okay, well, I need this sort of value. It turns out you actually don't need all that overwhelming amount of value. You can just play these normal good cards and you will just kind of interact and trade with your opponent and run them over. And, you know, having the Bring Delight package lets you have things like a one of Slaughter Games in your deck where, like, you know, I know Bob and some of his teammates just won rounds by just, you know, like interacting a little bit and then going, like, Bring the light, you know, slaughter games name like you know the worm or whatever out of creativity or like that sort of thing, right? And they just sort of like clowned on people, and that's something you can do at pro tours and at other events. And there's a lot of different ways to build this deck and move it, but I think the one Elishnorn goes a long way in pushing you over the top, and the move towards Omnath in particular helps stabilize you a lot. Uh, some decks that we haven't mentioned, just kind of wanted to talk about uh, Lotus Field decks. Uh, mm-hmm. They, what's interesting to me is if you look at the results of Pioneer over the last, like, I don't know, month and a half, mm-hmm. uh, the deck was on the rise and then it fell again and then it went back up. Do you, do you feel like that deck got a fair shake at this pro tour and did better than you, than people expected? Or do you think it did about what people expected? I think a lot of people were really high going into it. I, I did not have as many conversations as I would have liked with people, but I knew a lot of people had a, a low field on their radar and we're really like kind of preparing for it. Um, I think Lotus Field has gotten a lot better at fighting through some of the hate. And so now you have to really need it against Lotus Field. Like a single damping sphere where Tomic, for example, out of Mono White, like if you just have one of those things uh, and no pressure, they can just beat you. And pressure being the biggest part of that, Lotus Field punishes dirtily non-interactive decks so, so well. So I think Lotus Field um, is a deck that, needs to kind of have the right environment but when it does it is so strong uh and then inherently it's also just like when it does its thing and goes off it is the most powerful thing its fail rate is fairly high-ish if it's under pressure though and that's sort of the weird dynamic that we have going on here um so i i don't know i i've been a notorious lotus field hater i still do not over the moon about it but it is hard to deny that like when the metagame is right for it it's like the best thing you can be doing yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it too. Uh, some decks that we, some of those decks that we haven't mentioned though, like we didn't talk about Devotion, we didn't talk mm-hmm. about, we talked a little bit about Phoenix, but like it's interesting to me, kind of looking at this, that you know we got Phoenix in the green, uh, and then you have Rakdos and Mono Green, you know w- what people consider the two best bet decks in the format in the yellow. Um, you know, I, I find that events like like the, like Pro Tours and and stuff that a lot of the time, a lot of people will just be like, I'm just going to bring what I perceive as the best deck. And mm-hmm. um, it actually can drag down the win percentage quite a bit. Yeah, it definitely can. Also, players are aware of these decks, right? Like, if you're not, like, if you're on Team Channel Firewall, for example, or Team Handshake, right? Uh, and you're not playing these decks, it's because you believe you have a pretty good matchup. And those teams consist of some of the best players in the world, right? You know, like, Paulo's no fool, like, he knows the mono green stuff is strong if you do it, and he likes winning more than he likes, you know, not playing green, right? So, like, if it's the best thing to do or it's unbeatable, he might actually do it within a point of reason. So, I, I think that, you know, going into these events, whenever you play the best decks, um, they are strong and still really good, and, you know, they're by no means bad, but they are going to be more targeted than maybe at other events. And this is the thing that happens, I think, the more competitive your tournaments get. I'm curious to hear you say about this, Spencer, but basically I think 
the more focused everyone is on winning and not just playing magic, the more things like this can occur, right? Like if you and I go and play a local RCQ or something, not everyone there has the goal of wanting to play the RC, which is totally fine and valid. You play magic any way you want. But that means that there's going to be more random things in the room, which means like these more inherently strong decks can just perform and you can build your sideboard differently. At the Pro Tour, you need to build and think differently. Everyone's there is to win and everyone's metagaming. There's no one's like, maybe there's one person there who's just there for the fun or whatever, but basically everyone's there to win, right? So the metagame and everything changes and moves pretty drastically. And that's why you'll see things like people take these shots on grinning Ignis combo or they'll play Jun Citadel because they like think they figured something out or like they're trying to exploit a metagame. Yeah, and, and honestly, I completely agree with all of that. And if you think about it, uh, it also means that not only do, do these best decks have a card on their back, everyone knows about them, like everyone. So, and because of what Mason's mentioning where everybody's trying to win, it means that everyone has a plan for you. You're mm -hmm. not, you're not, you're not going to run into, like, you're not going to run into, like, goblins, you know, at, at the Pro Tour it, to get to get you a dub. They're going to play against people that have a plan for you. And, you know, it makes, it honestly makes it even more impressive just how well, I you know, just shout out to Misplaced Ginger because he just, like, totally crushed the constructor grounds of this tournament mm -hmm. with a deck that he believed in. Yeah, believed it made it very public. Derek, you know, I think had one card different or two cards different from his challenge winning list from his pro tour list. And spent a lot of time like debating. It's not like he just locked it in. I worked with Ginger for the pro tour. Uh, but like he made his process and everything very public and was very open about it. And, you know, a lot of people just played decks very similar to Derek's going into the pro tour. So, and also like, so the, the numbers are 104 wins, 120 losses for Reckless Midrange, right? For a 46.4 win percentage. That's like a good sample size and everything. It's also really close to, you know, just being like 50% or whatever, which is about... Which is you know, the deck. <laughs> yeah, like, like you know, your Jun deck's going to oscillate from 45 to 52% win rate, right? Yeah. Like, that's just what you're doing. So it's kind of ex performed as expected, but that just shows how good this deck can be. And then this shows how much room there is still for innovation, right? Like, speaking of the Pro Tour Top 8, Shoda played three Mutavolts in his deck, right? Like, and he did this for the RC as well in his region that he won. But, uh, like... There's a lot of things still left to do and explore in those decks, and Such a lot a of room funny for expression. Comment, by the way, showed up playing those regional. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> it's like what is happening to us? Yeah, well, you know, he's got muta vaults and he's winning. So, uh, I kind of want to wrap this up, but I I wanted to ask your opinions on. I'm asking all your opinions because you know you're on the test of the road tour, and because I missed you and I haven't talked to you forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh. What what do you think the format's going to be like going forward? So that's been the billion dollar question. Uh, to keep it a buck, I've not thought about it too too much um, because I've just been trying to prepare for standard and I got some life changes recently. Uh, my main thought is this: is that indomitable creativity I expect to be everywhere for a bit. Anytime any deck wins the pro tour, it's going to go up, and anytime someone who is a known pro and someone who's really popular and really good does well, a deck does extra well. So. Uh, Reduke winning the Pro Tour at this deck, I expect Indomitable Creativity to stick around for a while. I'm curious to see what the Rakdos players do in order to sort of hate on that deck. I know that Ginger, there are builds for that deck he really he really doesn't like playing against, so there are builds he really likes playing against. So um, I didn't get to talk to him too much on the Nindy Green where he landed with uh, like what Reed was playing, but I'm curious to see how players adapt. And I think that we're just going to see players be willing to play combo more after the PT, where before it's like, yeah, your combo deck is green and that's it. I think we're going to see a rise in those, and I think we're going to see a rise in Gruul and Angels. 
Um, Angels has still got like some meme baggage over it. A lot of players think Angels is just a joke because um, historically they have been, but they are not a joke in the Pioneer format. So those would be my big guesses for the format moving forward. I'm curious what you have to say. Yeah, so I, I, I personally think that Aura's is a deck that people are going to gravitate towards, and so is so is creativity. I'm going to gravitate towards creativity. I think that mm-hmm. you know a combo control deck is what else? I mean, we all know that's what I like to do, uh, and that's I think that um, being able to being able to adjust in this format is going to become really important. Kind of what we were talking about earlier. We're like, you know, if if that's if people have to interact with these decks, and you know, they're gonna create this tax on your deck building, which means mm-hmm. that decks like, in my opinion, like Is It Phoenix might become a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. And th- that's and that deck was in the green for this pro tour. So um, if it already was, you know, not getting catered out, it's get, I think it will be even less. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting where the combo decks are all sort of moved away from the graveyard and so there's some real pressure if you're someone trying to play an interactive deck where just build your sideboard to have hammers and not like tools where it's like how do you hate all these weird combo decks and hate the graveyard it's just a a really big ask right now things like go blank i don't think move the needle enough against like creativity um they're fine ish against lotus field if you have pressure but like they're lights out against phoenix but okay can you really afford to do that so i think this metagame it's going to be a lot more open. It's going to be really interesting to see how people adapt and attack it week to week. Yeah, honestly, like, it's going to be, like, you, you want cards that are going to be cross multiple matchups, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I I would be interested to see, like, if Duress is something that can be good against the R's deck, or if that's, like, you know, but, like, the problem is, is that if you Duress them and they just, like, have a light pause, it might not matter. Um yeah, especially the first light pause <laughs> goes a long way, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, I think I think that there are going to be interesting questions. I really, well, that's one of the things I was just saying. This is like why I love Paper Magic so much, and like why I love the Pro Tour is we finally got pressure put on this format, and the format just got super interesting again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw it many happen with the RC, right? Like a bunch of decks came out. Going into it, it was just green or Rakdos. What are you going to play? Things like Angels popped out of there. Mono White got a lot more respect popping out of there. Uh, Phoenix kind of, like, persevered for the first couple of weeks and then pushed back down. But now we've had the Pro Tour, right? And that, like, this was sort of, like, as dense as the format's going to get. I'm really curious to see what happens. I believe that the next RCQ season that starts in April is Pioneer, is my understanding is correct. So I'm really curious to see players have about a month to try decks, figure out what they want to play with. What are metagames going to be like? How fluid are players going to be? Are they going to get stuck in their ways again? It's going to be really interesting to see that. And then also, you know, we're going to have another Pioneer Pro Tour in about nine months. That's, uh, I think, two to three standard sets between now and then. So it's going to be even wilder when that one comes around, too, because the format's now just been cracked wide open and changed. Nine months is a long time, but not super long for Eternal Format. So it's going to be interesting to see. All right. That is going to do it for our main topic. Thank you so much, Mason, for sharing your insight from the pro tour and let's go move on to our patron question if you want to ask a question uh become a patron of five dollars or more there's a channel in our discord where you can get a uh where you can get a link to ask questions uh like this one from chase where he asks i would actually be interested to hear from the host on other card games you've enjoyed beside magic and what about those games you enjoyed more or less than magic although first on this one um i actually have pokemon cards sitting on my desk um 
I I personally uh, have tried. I've tried Pokemon. I've tried Dragon Ball Super. I've tried. Um, I've tried uh, Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a kid, and the only one that really captures my love is is Pokemon, and the reason is because it feels like playing vintage, but with like grizzly bears. If that makes sense, like you've got these big dumb creatures on the field all the time, but you're mm-hmm. drawing like you know seven cards a turn. It's it's really fun. Um, the deck building is really interesting. The uh, just overall, I I, I really uh, find the different strategies that people. And uh, import like people using the game, really cool. Uh, the mm. thing that it does worse than Magic is on that same vein, though. Like there aren't like necessarily like combo decks, so to speak. Like there have been. Uh, there was like a Joel, Joel Bug deck that that uh, or I, I think it's the name of the Pokemon that like was basically an aggro combo deck. Um, and stuff like that, but overall, the the format is typically like a lot of a lot about resource management, which mm-hmm. I like. I like resource management. So nice. What about you? I I've, I've played a bunch of different card games in my life. I there's a lot of things I love and dislike about a lot of them. I'll talk about Marvel Snap, I think, because that's my most recent one. I love Marvel Snap. I think it is the best card game since Hearthstone. Um, I've played a lot of them that have come out since then. Um, the thing I like about Snap is a fewfold one. Games that, like, at most are, like, four minutes long. If you rope and use all your time every single turn possible, you're talking about four minutes. Uh, and it fits a surprising amount of depth and strategy in just, like, during that time. And they've recently released their challenge mode. Uh, they're going to have certain tournaments. My LGS is actually going to run a Marvel Snap tournament because my LGS owner loves the game. And so, uh, super fun. I actually can't wait to play on that. But Marvel Snap is just a really cool game, has a really cool IP. The cards are very simple and easy to understand. And one of the biggest complaints about the game is that you can't get the cards you want, which does kind of suck. But if you think about it less as that and more of like, oh, this is an experience and a challenge. It's like I'm playing a sealed deck that gets better and better over time. How do I overcome these challenges? It's pretty interesting because they do give you a set, like a lot of the base tools you need. And you can have decks, you know, streamers do a thing where they like play with only the cards that you're guaranteed to get and they hit the highest rank possible, right? So it's a game where you don't have to have the cool flashy cards in order to do crazy stuff, but you get to unlock those. And it's a really cool, like I've had the experience personally, I've been playing Beta, where it's like, oh, I unlocked this really cool flashy card. I can't wait to play, you know, with Hazmat, for example, as a card's name. It's like, so I play a bunch with Hazmat and I unlock Gambit. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to play with Gambit. So I tried playing Gambit decks for a while. So that's really fun. And it really brings out the fun creativity part of a card game. Um, and they release so many cards that it's actually almost impossible to keep a full collection by design. That's a choice they're actively making. And I think it's so great. Um, it sucks if you're like a top tier tournament player, but it's just a really fun card game. Dude, you just like reminded me of like the the, the days of like cracking boosters as a kid, at, like like and being like, oh, I'm so excited to play this new card. That's so cool. Yeah, the game's awesome. If you haven't tried it. I highly suggest it. Um, the other way that you can interact with the show is leave a YouTube comment. Um, and, you know, depending on what it says, it might make the show. Like this one. Just wanted to point out a correction for you guys. The Pioneer RCQ is April April to August, and it feeds the RCs in the fall, which actually feeds PT4, not Barcelona, which is PT3. 
I love it when people <clears throat> leave these type of comments for what it's worth. Uh, it makes it makes our job a lot easier to deliver the right information when people so honestly just like nicely like do this. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I just want to say thank you to Random Card for for saying that. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for correcting uh, them on that, not me. I never get that wrong. Don't, don't be silly like that. I knew Dallas went straight to Barcelona for sure. For sure. Uh, that's going to do it. If you want to check out the rest of the Constructed Criticism Network, head on over to ConstructedCriticism.com. Leave a like, leave a sub, leave a review, leave a comment wherever you can. It helps the, grow the show more than basically anything. So, uh, And they got them reviews on the Spotify now, Mason. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, need, we need them we need them reviewies. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find me every uh, week over at Card Kingdom writing. This week, it's all about the Pro Tour uh, and sort of like a mini version of what we talked about today, but there's also deck lists and things like that. So if you want to check out that, you should definitely do that. Um, and then I'll announce, I'll say it here, uh, and then I probably won't mention it too, too much on the show after that, but uh, I am doing full-time coaching now. That is my job. Uh, so if you've been wanting to do coaching in the past, and that's something you want to do, uh, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to me via email at masoneclark at gmail.com, or you can reach out to me via Twitter or anywhere, like the Discord if you're a patron of the show. Happy to help you out. I get a lot of questions about like, oh, he's just modern coaching. Is it just four color? What exactly? I, I try to hyper-specifically focus on giving you the tools to improve at Magic and succeed long-term. We can do things like standard, pioneer, modern, or whatever. But honestly, a lot of the times it's focusing on the fundamentals and really teach you how to fish them up. My goal is to make you not need to do coaching as quickly as possible. And, you know, I've had a lot of people that have gone out, learned some topics, and come back for more advanced stuff. And hopefully I can help you with that if that's something you're needing. So that's a way they can do it. Spencer, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at Spencer Fitch You can find me uh, every week on the Need to Nerd podcast, uh, and then once a month on Mythicast and Smash Through, an always improving podcast about getting better at Smash with two noobs. Um, I, if you are interested in my services for coaching, just head on over. Uh, just you know, shoot me an email. Uh, honestly, is probably the best way. Uh, just Spencer Howland at gmail.com. It's super easy to remember. Uh, and yeah, don't forget to also check out our other co-host, Abe, at More Nothings on Twitter. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Mason, so great to have you back. And Great to be back. Can't wait to see Abe's big smile next week. Oh, I love Abe's smile. See you guys all next week with another episode of Constructed Criticism.